When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California, subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois. Hey, Her Hoop Stats fans, welcome to another episode of the Unplugged podcast. I'm, as always, Megan Gower here with another Unplugged episode for you. Took a week off last week for the kind of break between the WNBA and the NCAA season, but we're back this week with a two-part special with NCAA preview content, so welcome to part one. I'm really excited to kind of bring you a bunch of preview content on a variety of topics coming up in NCAA basketball. And in addition to the podcast, we'll have a variety of articles on the site con- as preview content as well. So make sure you check those out as well as our social media. And of course, if you haven't yet, subscribe to the site. The season's right around the corner. But without further ado, I'm here today with our Jen Hatfield and Calvin Wetzel. Hi, Jen. Hi, Calvin. Hi. Thanks for having us. Hey, Megan. Of course. So we're going to talk about a bunch of different things to do with the upcoming NCAA season, which starts, we're recording this on Monday the 28th, so it starts next week, um, which is crazy to kind of think about with the WNBA season just wrapping up. I wanted to kind of start it off on a fun note with just from each of us, one like bold prediction for the season that we will probably look back on in two or three months from now and be like, what on earth was I thinking? But um, always kind of fun to start off with that. Uh, Calvin, do you want to start us off? Yeah, um, so I have a couple, but um, one of mine is going to work better for a little bit later. So if you're listening, you know, don't turn us off. Just leave you dangling on that one. But the other one, um, I don't know if this is super bold, but Gonzaga has won 12 of the last 13 
WCC championships. So I'm using that to justify how bold this is. I'm going with BYU in the WCC this year. Gonzaga has to replace three of their top four scorers. Laura Stockton at point guard, Zakira Rice, their leading scorer. BYU had eight players get at least 100 minutes. They're all back. And it feels like BYU is already kind of right there. Like, they actually beat Gonzaga all three times last year, but because uh, the Zags didn't lose to anyone else, they still ended up with two losses, BYU with three. So they still won their 12th title out of 13 years. But I think this is the year BYU is going to get over the hump, uh, in the re- at least in the regular season, and uh, win the WCC title. I like it. Starting so yeah, mine's kind of on a similar note on the conference championship note, uh, conference championship, I guess, titles, but probably a little bolder. I think that UCLA is going to win the Pac-12 regular season title. That is bold. That's a hot take. <laughs> yeah, definitely a hot take. So I'll give you my reasoning. Um, so first, part of it is that I just am like really high on UCLA this season. I think that Michaela Anuar will be a first-team All-American um, I just think they're going to be really solid, but it's also partially because there's this like a weird Pac-12 scheduling quirk and that UCLA, so they're, really I think the Pac-12 could go to any of those top four teams, right? You've got Oregon, Oregon State, Stanford, UCLA, all really strong programs going into this season. Uh, UCLA only plays each of those teams once in their like Pac-12 schedule. Two of them at home, Oregon and Oregon State, they play at home and then Stanford on the road. And the first one of those games against a top three or one of those other top three programs is not until February 7th. So it gives UCLA a lot of time to kind of work out those kinks and figure everything out. They got hot pretty late on in the season last year. Um, Gives them a chance to do that again. And then the other three also have to play home and away series against each other. So Oregon plays home and away against Oregon State and Stanford. So a lot tougher, just packed all strength of schedule. So think that just because of that and then I do think UCLA is going to be a really strong program this year they could take that regular season title wow that's that some top-notch research plus this is like the third podcast that you plug UCLA so you're definitely on that bandwagon <laughs> I am on the UCLA bandwagon I'm full steam ahead this year <laughs> making it known now <laughs> you know that that scheduling bit makes a lot of sense I was looking at, at Oregon State. I've been I've been writing some things about them and their foreign tour that they took. And not only did they have that much harder of a schedule than UCLA, but they play Oregon twice and Stanford once in the span of eight days, which is insane. And yeah. and Oregon has a similar I think it's ten days that they get Stanford once and Oregon State twice. So and those are in January. So before UCLA even enters the picture one or two teams could already be pretty beat up just from the trio fighting it out before them. Yep, definitely. Jen, do you want to tag on with your bold prediction? Sure. So mine is about actually the NCAA tournament. So I'm going to fast forward even farther to March. Um, So staying in the Pac-12, Oregon State head coach Scott Ruick and then also Brenda Fries in Maryland, both sometimes get criticized for their teams bowing out earlier than expected in the NCAA tournament and in Rick's case for not really having any WNBA star players, even though he's had some really good players at Oregon State. And I think this is the year that both of them just shed those labels once and for all because I think they're both really good coaches and I'll say more about them 
later in the podcast when we discuss teams that could be really good in March. But I think this is the year that, that both of them really live up to the hype and, and make a run in March. It's a good take. I could definitely see that happening. Um, both going to be great programs this year. I think it's not wildly out of the question that you see two to three teams from the Pac-12 in the Final Four this year, so definitely. And then Maryland, I think, would be the favorite to win the Big Ten, should be poised to make a big run as well. So I would definitely agree with that. Yeah, we uh, between WCC and Pac-12, we definitely have some West Coast bias in our hot takes. <laughs> yeah, I've I mean, I don't think anyone would argue that against the fact that the Pac-12 was probably the biggest conference to watch this year. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how the TV networks handle that, too. You know, you've got the Pac-12 network that broadcasts a lot of those games. And and last year, sometimes we heard fans grumbling, including myself, that that we couldn't get them if if we didn't subscribe to the Pac-12 network. And I wonder if this year with that conference just being so amazing and really demanding to be watched on a national level, any of those games get, get broadcast nationally. Yeah, I definitely hope so. I know I, for one, need to start adjusting my sleep schedule for Pac-12 basketball games because there's going to be a lot of late nights coming up, I'm sure. But Yeah, I actually uh, subscribed to Sling TV for the sole purpose of Pac-12 Network. Every other channel I get on Sling TV, I already had, but... Honestly, it's worth $30 just for Pac-12 Network with how good that conference is. So can we expect a how-to-watch-the-NCAA article this season, like your how-to-watch-the-WNBA article? Yeah, yeah. I should put something together for that. And, you know, pro tip, like, bold, first line of that article, anyone who cares about Pac-12, which should be everyone because they have, like, half of the top 25 Sling TV. It's the way to go. Not a paid advertisement. <laughs> Definitely. No, they're good. I've, I mean, I think exhausted all of my free trials of all the streaming services that let you watch my film network. So I'm probably going to have to pay for something this year. So I will be looking into that for sure. <laughs> NCAA, we need an NCAA women's basketball league pass. That's all I need. Oh, that would do well. Great. So moving on, a bunch of uh, the watch list for the position awards came out all of last week. I think it was like Monday to Friday that they released them all. Um, so those are all out and open, the top 20 players to watch for each um, position. Of course, players can play their ways on and off of them all season long. So by no means a final list of what we'll be looking at come March. But wanted to kind of talk through anyone's reactions to those. I don't know. We can just start at the top with the Nancy Lieberman Award, the point guard for the best point guard. So what are the odds that Sabrina doesn't win this award? Like, what does she have to do? Like, it, it, it's it's her award to lose, I would think. Like, what, it, what would she have to do to, to not win the award? If, if Oregon finishes in the Pac-12 that she still win? Like, probably. She would probably have to get hurt to not win this award. That's about the only thing. Knock on wood that that doesn't happen. Exactly. Do not want to see that. Yeah, I would say, like, it's pretty much like I would almost be, like, 95% sure that she would win it. I think the only thing that maybe challenges her, if Crystal Dangerfield steps up at UConn and has, like, a huge season for them, which... Um, they arguably do need her to do, but I still don't know that she's going to win it over INSQ. Um, 
kind of a fun fact though if Sabrina does win it she already won it in 2018 and 2019 she'll be just the second player to ever win it three times the first being uh Sue Bird that's that's some elite company yeah yeah even two-time winners is elite company it's Diana Taurasi Skylar Diggins and Mariah Jefferson so still great company as a two-time winner but I have a feeling we'll be seeing her as a three-time winner anyway I would uh I would go ahead and write that in and sharpie honestly. <laughs> so if you if if there was this award in the non Sabrina category, like who is your who's your runner up pick? I think right now my runner up is Trinity Carter uh, from AM. I think she's poised to have a big junior season for them. I mean she's been incredible so far, just in a high volume scorer. If she can up her efficiency, especially, she'll be a huge name to be watching this season so I think she'd be my runner-up at the moment with a nod to Dangerfield assuming she steps it up big for UConn. I'll admit to doing a little bit of a double take when I saw Carter on the point guard list instead of the shooting guard list like I, I know she plays point guard but she just has such a reputation as a shooter and you know we're in the off season so it took me a minute to be like all right that does make sense even though in my head she's she's mainly a shooter. Yeah, she's definitely a volume scorer. The the positions are sometimes interesting. Often people play two or maybe even three, so they kind of have to figure out where to put them. But, Megan, you mentioned Carter and Dangerfield. I was going to throw one more into the mix. Uh, Destiny Slocum, Morgan State. I look at those four, uh, those three and then Sabrina. So those four as all, like, potentially top ten, you know, at least, like, first-round WNBA picks, which – might be, I mean, point guard is obviously the most important position, so it's probably not rare that this happens. But I definitely think there's the most first-round talent, you know, on the point guard watch list uh, in terms of WNBA, um, in terms of the WNBA draft. Yeah, it could definitely be interesting if Oregon State finishes ahead of Oregon. Um, definitely still Sabrina's award to lose, but you could, depending on how Slocum plays, and if, and if Oregon State outperforms Oregon, you could see some people making an argument for her. Um, and I think she's, she's really good, um, probably flying a bit under the radar nationally just because like, Oregon State is the experienced team in the Pac-12 and not the like, star power, flashy new team. You know, you've got Sabrina in Oregon, who's, who's like, the star of college basketball, and then you've got Stanford's freshman class, which is amazing. And so... Oregon State, I feel like, isn't quite getting as much buzz as maybe it should, but but they're really good. Definitely. Uh, so moving on to the Ann Myers just also for the shooting guard. This one to me is kind of strikes me as one that's kind of wide open. Like I don't see a clear like favorite to win it on this list. I don't know if you guys felt similarly or thought there was someone that would definitely take it home. Yeah, I don't I don't see a clear favorite either, but. One observation I did have not, you know, I don't think she's going to win it, but seeing Dee Dee Richards on the list, I think we kind of knew a lot of Baylor players were going to be on the list. Um, obviously, Lauren Cox, uh, and Queen Egbo, and Taya Cooper, but seeing Dee Dee Richards on the list, especially kind of a position that's often reserved for scores, more of like Carter types, right? only scored like seven points a game last year. She does a lot of other things, obviously, like as a complete player, but she basically completed Baylor's, you know, we knew some of the rest were going to be on the list, but they actually have one at all five spots, which 
is amazing. I mean, they lost multiple players to the WNBA and still like they just reload down there in Waco. They still not even Oregon has someone at all five spots. So that was one observation I had. Yeah, definitely. This kind of to one of my biggest snubs on the list. So Stanford has four players on the list, but one of the players that they don't have on the list is the freshman Haley Jones, who's the top ranked prospect in the country this year. And I was surprised that she wasn't on there. There are other freshmen on there. So for those of you who aren't acquainted with these lists, um, freshmen are allowed to be on these lists. And I was very surprised that she's not going to be on there. Um, so, I mean, it, it's hard to say what position you would put her at. Uh, Vandervera said she's played one through five for them already. And she's kind of weighing where best to place her. So it's not entirely clear where she would go, maybe at the three, but I guess we'll see. Yeah, it was surprising to see her left off the list as the number one recruit. And I mean, you're right, that would give Stanford five, you know, matching Baylor. So especially when, I mean, there were so many, I mean, Fran was like 19th, I think, right? Recruiting. So it's not just like the number two, number three, obviously, you know, grain of salt with the recruiting rankings, you know, we never know. They always turn out different, but it's all, it's always interesting to see, you know, someone rank that much lower than, you know, make a list and then the number one player coming out of high school, nowhere to be found. Yeah, that's definitely interesting. I think another thing that struck me is like uh, players that are left off is there's not a single Louisville player, I don't think, on any of these lists, which I thought was kind of shocking. I mean, most of rankings still have them in the preseason top 10. So I was kind of surprised, kind of goes back to the point guard, because I think I think if you were going to put a Louisville player on the list, it would probably be Dana Evans. But I was kind of shocked to see that there's not a single player from Louisville on any of these lists going into the season. Yeah, I'd also throw Elizabeth Balligan, the transfer from Georgia Tech, uh, who's immediately eligible as, as someone who would be a good addition to that list, probably the four. Um, I, I, I actually didn't notice that Louisville had been left off all the lists. You know, when you kind of look at them one by one, you, you may not notice the overall trend as much, but that's shocking to me. I, I think they're going to be very good. It might take them a little bit to gel, but I definitely think they have solid players. And uh, for, for disclosure, I really like Jeff Walls as a coach, so maybe I'm a, I'm a little biased there. But um, I think they should definitely have at least one player on that list. Yeah, they have to be the best team without anyone on the list, right? Without question. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, I didn't look through everyone. That was just one that struck to me. But yeah, I'm pretty sure they're probably the best team that doesn't have some a player on this list, which is or any of these lists, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. So, so going back to the shooting guard list, the the two, I I would agree that I don't think that there's a clear front runner. The two names that kind of struck me, um, not counting Kennedy Carter, who I would love to throw in this category. Um, in part because Sabrina's got such a stranglehold on point guard. But but the two names besides Carter that I would point to are Kristen Williams from UConn and Ari McDonald from Arizona. Fair, both good choices. Kristen Williams is, was on my list of players to highlight there, too. I think uh, we saw glimpses of her being really great as a freshman. I don't know, that Notre Dame game kind of in early December comes to mind where I forget exactly how many points it was, but she just had an incredible game there. Um 
So I kind of expect to see a lot more of that from her in her sophomore season, just with the tradition of the way that UConn players tend to make a kind of big jump between that freshman and sophomore year. Another name that I would highlight there is Erica Gumake. Of course, comes from a huge basketball family, but um, she had a great year at Rice last year. Because she's in Conference USA, maybe not some of the level of competition in the conference play that some of these other players will face. Uh, she's definitely got a potential to put up a lot of huge numbers. I think she's someone that, if she had wanted to, probably could have grad transferred to a top program. So um interested to see kind of like how successful she is at Rice for her senior year. Yeah, Rice is going to be super interesting to watch with a woman compared with 6'9 Nancy Nelson. Definitely. I just hope that there are, that there are ample ways to watch Rice this year. Um, we'll, we'll see what the TV options are there, but but looking forward to see what they do for an encore after such a great year last year. Yeah, actually high school teammates too. Igumuke, the younger two Igumukes and uh, Mulkey. So all sorts of chemistry over there. Oh, I actually did not know that. That's a super cool fact. <laughs> I did not know that either. Got just dropping knowledge here on the Unplugged podcast. That's <laughs> what we do. <laughs> yeah. Um, if we switch over to the small forward list, this one is just one that strikes me as having so much top talent on it. I mean, you've got Michaela Anyaware from a lot of Pac-12 talent too, I guess. Michaela from UCLA, Dijanine Carrington from um, Stanford, Michaela Pivik from Oregon State, Sabole from Oregon, who's probably arguably maybe one of the favorites to win the award. I would pick Anyaware, but I think preseason favorite, maybe it would be Sabole. Uh, Megan Walker, too, from UConn. Just a lot of big names, a lot of big talent that's going to need to step up for their teams this year to have them kind of be championship contenders. Yeah, I think Anyamara might actually have a better shot to win it than Savile, just looking at roster construction. So Oregon has Ruby Heber, they have Sabrina, and then they have Sachi Savile, who's great, but likely a third option, whereas Anyamara is probably going to be UCLA's top option. So from that perspective, it might be easier for anywhere to win it. I would also point out Goldie Buckets from Washington State. I'm not going to try to say her real name because <laughs> there's a lot of letters in it and stuff. But you know, she's playing for a team that's that's not in that top tier of, of the Pac-12. But she's a really great player. Could have gone to the WNBA draft last season um, and decided to stay another year and. It's just going to add to the to the quality of the pack well. Definitely. I'm going to uh, show my state of Illinois bias here. And, um, I mean, I love the fact that actually there's two state of Illinois people on this list. Courtney Woods from Northern Illinois and Shante Stonewall from DePaul. But in particular, Stonewall. So DePaul had kind of a three-headed monster in terms of scoring last year with uh, Ashton Millinder and Marte Gray's Shante Stonewall. The first two are gone, so Stonewall's set to take a big leap just in terms of usage and volume. So all of those counting stats are going to go up. She's going to be, you know, the leader and have the ball in her hands a lot. Um, so I think maybe someone that, you know, sleeper pick, if you will. <laughs> Another player work her way into the depending on how her team does, is Renaya Davis at Tennessee. So I feel like Tennessee is very much an X-factor heading into the season. They've got their new head coach in Kelly Harper and are essentially trying to turn around their program 
by Lady Vol's standards. Um, but you know, they they took a foreign trip this summer and really from from their account have really started to gel and Renaya Davis is clearly the most experienced player and, and was already kind of a natural leader overseas and if Tennessee gets off to a hot start and, and does better than predicted, I think Renaya Davis could work her way into that finalist discussion. Definitely. All right, so if we move on to the power forwards, I mean, to this one, this has got to be Lauren Cox's to lose, kind of similar to the uh, point guard conversation. I think it'd be pretty shocking to see anyone other than Lauren Cox win this with a definite like, hat tip to Ruthie Hebert, who is a great second place option, I think, there. But um, those two kind of seem to be like the biggest names on that list. Agreed. Can we just move? one of them to the five and give them both the award because I'm cool with that. I would be for that because yeah it's kind of weird to think that because they're at the same position like one of those won't win a position award this year even though they're probably bound to be two of the best players in the NCAA this season. Yeah that was that's probably that's an injustice if uh if things play out as expected they definitely would both to win uh you know deserve to win an award. Um another observation I wanted to drop on this one. I think, Jen, you went to Harvard, right? So you're an Ivy League. That's correct. Ivy League grad. So this has to be your list because there are two Ivy League players on this list. Um, Bella Allery from Princeton and Leah Parker from Penn. And, you know, with all due respect to the Ivy League, it's probably not a league that has two players on the same position list very often. So, I mean... The Princeton and Penn battles this year are going to be real between those two. Yeah. Bill Allery is really good. I think Howard Magdal at her post groups has her as a top five, top six draft pick for next year as of right now. Um, I'm really excited. I'm in the D.C. area, and I am going to watch her play against Washington in a couple weeks. I'm super excited to see her in person, but she is she's really talented. Uh, Princeton just got a new coach. And there was talk that, that Bella Allery might try to follow her old coach who moved down to UNC. And, and you know, she presumably would be able to play in the ACC. She's, she's that good. So really looking forward to seeing her. I think she's definitely deserving of being on this watch list for the entire season. Again, you know, it's Lauren Cox's to lose and Ruthie Hebert's to, you know, if they can put that down the middle, great. So, so Bella is almost certainly not going to win it, but but I'm glad to see her on it for sure. Definitely. So last but not least, the centers. I think that's the final list we have to talk about. This one for me is another one that's kind of open, but I do think, like at least for me, preseason favorite would probably be Beatrice Montpremier from Miami on this one. Yeah, I definitely, uh, I definitely like Beatrice Montpremier too. I think Megan, we talked about her in our last podcast, right? When we did a, a little draft preview, she's definitely a potential first round pick as well. Um, I love seeing Nancy Mulkey on this list too. We talked about Rice a little bit already, but I, uh, I feel like we should talk about them like five times throughout this podcast. Cause I'm hyped. I don't know about you guys. Rice is going to be awesome this year. Um, and then the other thing I noticed on this list, I'm not exactly sure. Maybe you guys can clarify how this works for me. But we were talking about, like, with Kennedy Carter, like how they choose what positions people are on. 
Um, I mentioned Aaliyah Parker from Penn on the list for the power forwards, but she's actually on this list too. She's the only person on two lists. So there's actually not a hundred people on these lists or 99. And I'm not sure like how this works, like, like why they decided to put her on both lists. Cause I mean, you also could in theory just do that with Lauren Cox, right. Or with, um, I mean, you could do it with anyone. You could do it with Kennedy Carter, put her on the one and the two. I don't know. So, do you guys have any insight to like why this happened or how they, how they decide the positions, I guess? I have no idea. Interesting. Like, I, yeah, I didn't actually notice that she's on both lists, but that's kind of crazy. Maybe she played like 50% of each position last year. So no one can really decide which one she is. I don't know. That's hard. <laughs> yeah, that's very interesting. I, I hadn't noticed that. Um, what I what I think is interesting about the list, this list for the centers, is how many like sophomore sleeper picks there are. So I, I agree that Beatrice Montemere is the favorite for this. But if you look at the list, also has Queen Egbo from Baylor, who's a sophomore, Olivia Nelson Odota from UConn, who's a sophomore, Shakira Austin from Maryland, is a sophomore, Felicia um, Kinane from NC State. Uh, Charlie Collier from Texas. You know, you've got a lot of of players who maybe showed flashes as freshmen and really had a lot of recruiting buzz coming in, but could be poised to take that, uh, you know, well known sophomore leap um, and emerge as kind of like the challenger to Montpelier, who's a senior. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. There's a, a lot of big sophomore names. Um, Austin is one from Maryland who was like a defensive powerhouse for them last year. So with more minutes in her sophomore season, could definitely be up there as a challenger. Queen Egbo from Baylor is also an interesting one because she didn't play that much last year. I think it was like 10 minutes a game or so, but she led the nation in offensive rebounding rate, which is something that Baylor always seems to excel at. But um, if she's getting more, a lot more minutes this year, especially with the departure of Kalani Brown graduating, um, definitely someone that could show flashes this year. And then, of course, I think everyone pretty much expects Olivia Nelson and Dota is going to be in the starting lineup for UConn this year. So another one that's going to be seeing a lot more minutes um, and has a chance to challenge for this list as well. She has some great experience, too, playing with uh, Team USA with a bunch of pros a month or two ago down in uh where was that? Puerto Rico? The FIBA? Yeah. Yep. Yep. yeah, I only got to watch one of those games, but the one that I did see of her was really solid minutes from Olivia. She was great on the offensive glass, looks a lot stronger than she did last season. So I am obviously a UConn fan, but just in general, really excited to watch her play this season. I think she's going to make a big step up for the Huskies. I was just going to say, I think we really need her to, you know, there are some, there are some questions inside for UConn and and a lot of potential in there for people who could fill the spots. But, you know, Nikki Sikali left the WNBA Rookie of the Year size pole in, in that front court. So so they're going to need her. Definitely, definitely. One more thing I, I was thinking about with the position award watch list. So I don't know if either of you saw Doug Feinberg's tweet about the Lisa Leslie Award for the top centers, but he tweeted essentially that it was really hard to find 20 qualified candidates for this award, which is not that nice of a thing to tweet, and like maybe don't tweet that. But it kind of raises the question, which we kind of touched on earlier with mentioning Parker from Penn. Like, are position awards outdated? Like, should we be using them, or should we have some other way to 
captured the Elena Deladons or the Candace Parkers of the world who really play every position. And like, I just wonder if it's, if it, like, obviously there's some value in it, but for some players, it just doesn't quite seem like it fits anymore. I say, I feel like it's almost like a team by team thing, right? There's some teams that do definitely play like clear positions and it makes sense to kind of like attribute their players to position wars, but a lot of teams do kind of tend more to that position as positionless basketball kind of style of play, which makes it really hard to, you know, pigeonhole any of their players who still may be great into like one of these little categories. Um, but I guess you do get that still with like all Americans, right? You're still going to highlight the best of the best at that level. So I don't know that it necessarily is outdated, but it's definitely a like item for discussion. Yeah, I think um, it probably is going in that direction. I don't, it's tough to, it's so tough to, to classify some of these players as just one kind of almost put them in a box in a sense in just one position. And like you said, positionless basketball is kind of becoming more and more prevalent every year. Um, and I mean, I'm, you know, I live uh, where Illinois State is my local team and, and they have a transfer this year from Juco, Juju Redmond, who played she was a first team all american juco all american played all five positions for tallahassee uh community college and is going to play at least four according to their coach this year so i mean there's just players like that who kind of they, al- they almost get um i don't want to say mistreated but it's not there's not quite as much of an equal you know opportunity for someone like that to maybe get an award like this versus someone who like fits in that nice clean definition of what we think of as a center or as a small forward or whatever. So I definitely think that's something that we should kind of be looking at, you know, in coming years as it, as the trend continues. Definitely. Well, that's all for part one of our NCAA preview episode. Um, thanks, Jen and Calvin, for joining me. And we'll be back in just a couple of days with part two. You won't want to miss it. We're going to talk about our preseason All-American picks, our early predictions for Final Four uh, contestants for this year, as well as Calvin's got another bold preview or bold prediction, which has to do with the, kind of some of the games that we're excited to watch this season. So all coming up in part two of our NCAA preview episode. As always, if you like what you hear on the podcast, make sure to rate and subscribe us wherever you're listening. It helps more people find our content, especially heading into the season. Um, Also, make sure you're checking out our articles on our Medium site and the site as well. If you have any questions, suggestions, anything you want to hear us talk about the podcast on the podcast, you can reach us at podcast at herhoopstats.com and then also, of course, on Twitter at herhoopstats. Um, Thanks again for joining us this week. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig, inspiring kid confidence.